So just to recap, three weeks worth of family principles in this way. We talked about three different things. Foundational things. We talked about conflict. We talked about time. And thinking about the family, those three things are in play. The foundational elements, like Joshua said, as me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there is good families, godly families don't happen by accident. And so we talked about intentional, discerning, and biblical. Being committed to those things. Realizing that if my family is going to be what God intended, designed for it to be, then these things are in play. We talked about conflict because... All, all of us know, right? Conflict is a part, uh, can be one of the biggest drags on our family, figuring that out, how to do that. And so we talked about some principles like take the initiative, confess your faults, consider their perspective, tell the truth tactfully, um, fix the problem, not the blame. We, we go from being focused on who is at fault to how do I fix this problem. And the last one is, is really focusing on reconciliation, not Res resolution. There's going to be some things that you're just not ever going to see eye to eye on. You're going to see it differently. And it's just, that's just the way you see it, right? Something happened, the way it happened, it just is what it is. And you're going to come at it from different viewpoints. Let that go. You can't get them to see it or they can't get you, you know, let it go and just focus on restoring and reconciling the relationship. We talked about last week, Ken talked about time and things about, um, you know, quality time together and take control of your time. Don't allow life to carry you along. You take control of life. And um, that's what will create a healthy family dynamic where you spend quality time together. Be intentional. Again, there's that word intentional. Rest together. Um, that's an important one. And then we talked about mutual submission and it's all tied up in this question, what can I do to help? That's what Paul is really saying. And when we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, that we leverage all that we are, our time, our resources to help somebody else. And man, if you were to do that in your family, can you imagine what would happen if, uh, if our families are asking that question to one another? What can I do to help? How can I help you? Because when that happens, you end up having more time to spend together, to enjoy fun things about life together, to enjoy each other's company. So shifting gears to marriage. And I really want to just talk about five different principles um, uh, about marriage. Um, this is a series called From This Day Forward. I liked it so much that I thought I'm going to take time and use those um, because I think it's powerful. And I think it's something that we can all grab onto really easy. Um, and it's these things. Seek God. Fight fair. Have fun. Stay pure. And never give up. I hope some of you have heard this before. If you have, it's great to hear it again. You know why? Because the more I hear this, the more I think about it, the more I grab a hold of these five things, I remember them. I take them with me. I think about them. Oh, yeah. Um, when I'm, so seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. And uh, hey, we got a lot going on in our lives, and there's probably a hundred different good marriage principles I could throw out there, different things. And you know what? When you hear so much, what do we do? You just get overloaded, overwhelmed, right? But you can hang on to stuff like this. Uh, seek God, fight fair, stay or have fun, stay pure, never give up. And so I, I want to just tackle these things in the next three weeks. Today, just talking about seeking God. The next, uh, next, next week, fight fair, have fun. I think they go together. Uh, they can go together. They kind of flow off one another. And then the last one is stay pure, never give up. 
And so let's just jump right into this. Um, seek God. Uh, if you're reading the story of God, if you're opening the pages of Scripture, and you're starting at the beginning, and you see God creating something out of nothing, um, you see this world taking form, you see him creating man, and early on you realize that God, he knew and sees and communicates to us that, um, you know, he didn't intend for uh, man to live alone. In fact, he wanted man to have a unique, special relationship. And so he creates a woman. And the most basic fundamental structure of all of humanity is the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. It provides the basics for everything else. You see kids coming along in the next couple chapters, a couple kids, some tragedy, some more kids, but at the heart of, of our story as humans is a man and a woman in this relationship of marriage. I would contend that that's still the case. Do we want healthy families, which in turn creates healthier communities, which in turn creates a healthier um, government or nation? It all travels back to, is the marriage relationship strong, healthy, and vibrant? It provides the basis, the basis. Uh, Jesus affirmed what the Old Testament said and helps us to understand how God sees or what God intended, how he designed it when Jesus said this. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> uh, for this reason, Jesus is talking, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. You say, wow, I've heard that before, no big deal. Do you realize what you read? Do we understand what he means? This is like, wow. This is, this is God's kind of math. One plus one equals one, right? This is the way God is always doing math. Because if you think about God himself, you have one plus one plus one equaling one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is who he is. He is, he gets living in such a united, blended relationship with himself in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That when he creates us, and when he creates us in the image of God, he gives us the opportunity to know and experience the same, the same things that he knows and experiences. Now, he obviously calls us to be one with him, Father, Son, and Spirit. But as he's creating human relationships, his desire and design at that most basic element, uh, elementary level, foundational level, is man and woman. And it's like, hey, it's not just um, we're going we're gonna to 
join together and we're going to um, just kind of have this partnership or this, um, this uh, kind of a roommate thing. We're going to do things. It's, wow, it goes beyond that. It's like taking your one life and taking their one life and making it now one life. I will tell you that this carries with it the greatest potential for joy and happiness and fulfillment, right? But it also carries with it <laughs> the biggest challenges in the world. Why? Because we have been born broken and fallen, right? And in that, we are bent toward one thing, our way, right? We're inherently selfish, born that way. And so, as we grow up, as we come to that point where we're ready to, we, we have this natural inclination, desire, hunger to have companionship, and we jump into that, we jump into that with this principle in play that we're bent toward ourselves. And so, a lot of times we want one and one, and we want we want one, but we want it our way, <laughs> right? I feel like that one of the greatest things I can do to help us grab a hold of some of this is to hear from you, to allow you to have an inside snapshot of one of us and allow them to tell their story. And so I invite you to listen to uh, Blake and Heather as they talk about their marriage. I appreciate them being vulnerable and opening up. Um, this is eight minutes, but it's really good eight minutes for you to listen to. Heather and I have been married for almost 17 years, um, but we almost didn't make it past year five. Um, started off great. Uh, before you have kids, you can um, get away with a certain amount of selfishness and, and it still somehow works out. When we first got married, Heather was a RN um, and she had 12-hour shifts and that actually worked out really well for me because we could have one night together and then the next night I got to do whatever I wanted. For the first couple of years, um, I think we still had a lot of things to work out. We still fought about money and family and the usual things um, as you figure out how to do this whole marriage thing. Uh, but uh, that lasted for like two years, and then we had our first kid, and that added a, a number of responsibilities, uh, a little bit of pressure, and our marriage got incrementally worse. Yeah, just trying to figure out as new parents, like how to figure out doing the baby thing, um, sharing responsibilities with the childcare, sleepless nights, just lacking sleep, I think, kind of made for, you know, just we weren't as fun to be around each other. Like we didn't enjoy each other as much just because we had this added stress in our lives. And then child number two came along and our marriage got infinitely worse because now we had twice the pressure, twice the um, demands on our time, uh, and it got really bad. Um, we fell into this vicious cycle, and it's a kind of a chicken and egg situation. I'm not sure which came first, but I uh, would, maybe, maybe I wasn't helping out enough with the kids, and then she resents that, and then she focuses more on the kids. The list goes on and on. It, it just, it, it was a sort of vicious spiral. <laughs> 
of, of her not meeting my needs and I'm not meeting her needs. Uh, there was resentment, there was there was bitterness. It just got to the point where like we, we were basically like roommates in the same house and we didn't even really like each other a whole lot anymore. Like we were just kind of coexisting, trying to, you know, it's like walking on eggshells all the time, trying not to get to the point where like you knew things were going to just explode or be really bad. So it was like tiptoeing around and it was just a really uncomfortable, I mean, you think of like a coworker that you have like a confrontation with or something and things just kind of get awkward and stuff. Well, it's kind of like, it felt like that like all the time. Like we kind of stopped being each other's friend. It was just, yeah, always strife and tension, I would say, you know? Yeah, it was more than just ex coexisting. I, I, we actively disliked each other. You get frustrated that, okay, hey, why isn't she meeting my needs? This is what we agreed to when we got married and vice versa. Um, and so there was just a lot of, of resentment. It got, it got so bad that I literally couldn't stand to look at my wife. I would walk into the room and I was just actively disgusted with my wife. I couldn't look at her. And it kind of came to a head one night. Um, we were laying in bed, her way on her side of the bed, me way on my side of the bed, and it's, it's dead silent. She, she asked, do you still love me? And in uh, and, and way, at the beginning of the marriage, we had decided um, and made the commitment that uh, that love was not a feeling, love was a commitment. So I said, yes, I still love you. Do you still love me? And she said, yes, I still love you. And then she said, do you still like me? And I said, no, do you still like me? And she said, no, I don't like you. And then she asked me, do you still want to be married? And I said, honestly, no. And she said, well, I don't want to be married either. And then she asked, so what are we going to do about it? And, um, and I said, well, we're not getting a divorce. We have to figure this out. We're going to work it out. And we were, and we were both in agreement. Um, we were in agreement on all the important things. We didn't like each other. Uh, we didn't want to be married anymore. But we were not getting a divorce. We were going to work it out. <clears throat> so we woke up the next day. And nothing was fixed. Um, it didn't suddenly get better uh, after after just making the decision. It was a slow process. It probably took at least six months or so of of uh, her trying to meet my needs, even when she didn't feel like it. Me trying to meet her needs, even when I didn't feel like it. Even when the other person didn't deserve it. It was it was a hard process. Like we just kind of had to suck it up. Even we didn't feel like doing it, but yeah, we knew that we couldn't go on like we were. It was miserable. It wasn't setting a good example for our young children to have two parents that, you know, didn't like each other very much. So, yeah, I think we both kind of um, just bit the bullet and started serving each other and loving each other even when we didn't feel like doing so. Yeah, we started loving each other even when the other person didn't do anything that made them love lovable in any way. And what happened was we slowly started to like each other again. We started to enjoy each other's company. Like, I actually want to be around her because she pays attention to me. And, and again, vice versa. In those, in those 12 years since that night, um, there's been ups and downs. But no matter what happens, we know that we can get through it because we got through that. We know... Uh, we have an awareness. I feel like we have an awareness where, like, um, we can see the cycle starting, you know? You can see, like, that little bit of bitterness creeping in. Um, and 
you know, we can quickly put an end to it, I think, because we know that that's what needs to happen because once you get started on a cycle, it's just really ugly. I think we, um, we really learned or grew to understand um, grace and I think that's kind of been key. Like with Grace, it's like I, I think, yeah, it just finally like clicked with us, and it was like instead of thinking or assuming the worst of of one another, it was like why not like give them the benefit of the doubt? Why not choose love? Why not choose forgiveness over choosing strife and bitterness? I'm glad we made it this far. <laughs> I would tell anyone who's having similar issues uh, to be the person who steps out first and starts treating their spouse the way they would want to be treated. Do they deserve it? Probably not. Are they um, are they being lovable? Maybe not. But show them love anyway, and it's it's shocking the result. It's shocking what can happen when one person decides I'm going to. I'm going to love you the way I want to be loved. And, and that's, honestly, Heather was the first one to do that in our situation. Uh, and she's always been the person in our marriage uh, to step up and do that first. And it always convicts me, and then um, my attitude almost immediately changes when I see her doing that for me. I think sometimes, like, the key is, like, as soon as your spouse kind of starts to not become like your best friend, as soon as you start to kind of seek someone else out or, you know, even if it's just a family member or something, I think that was kind of key for us. Like anytime I feel like I was going to someone else for um, support or just to talk to them, I think that was kind of like a wake up, like, hey, we need to get back to, you know, it's just you and me and stuff. And um, I think another big thing too, and I think it's hard for for wives is to not try to get like our fulfillment and our worth out of our spouse but to only seek that from God because at some point your spouse your children whoever you're seeking that fulfillment from they're going to let you down hypothetically I mean I haven't let you down but no, never <laughs> Well, wow, that's that's pretty heavy, isn't it? You say, Chip, why are you starting like heavy this way? Because honestly, in our culture, if there's two marriages, the numbers say in our culture, one of them's done. It's not gonna work. One out of two. And so, as we think about how can we make sure that um, we have healthy, strong marriages, I think... Uh, being realistic about marriage and understanding the struggles. And I'm sure that um, their story, a lot, a lot of you, a lot of us could resonate with certain aspects of it, right? We, yeah, we've been there with that. We've done that. Because, again, this is a great challenge. It has great, great reward. And God has designed it. Because we deal with our fallen sinfulness and although grace comes in and forgives us, restores us, renews us, we still are working through Him changing us and renewing us and making us through our life. And that is highlighted most, I believe, in marriage. As I look at my life, Nicole has been one of the, the greatest things God has ever given to me outside of Jesus Christ. And she has done more for revealing who I am 
Not that she was trying to, but just being married and seeing, oh, wow. You mean, that's who you are? That needs to change. Or this is what it means to love somebody, to be loved, and then to love in return. I mean, I feel like if God is wanting to make us into his image, the image of Jesus Christ, to know what it is to love God completely and love our neighbor, he gives us this companionship of marriage to help us understand what he is continuing to want to do in it. And she's done that for me. It's a, it's a tremendous blessing. I don't want that to come out wrong, like she points out my flaws, okay? That's, I don't want that to sound at all. I just have realized, wow, God, you've given me this great gift. Now show me, teach me how to, to, um, to make this work. And in that process, I realized, oh, wow, you're pretty selfish there. You need to change that behavior there. Do you even know what love is? I've thought that sometimes. Like, you even know how to love? You know, and God has shown me and growing me in that way, but it's all a bigger plan of him making me more like him. But it's, 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 a, it's a big deal. And so that's why I want to hit it right up front. And that's why we say seek God first right off the bat. You see, what the scriptures help us to understand is, is the principle of this. God is your one and your spouse is your two. Our culture doesn't believe this. The movies don't show us this. Our, 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 our world continues to try to press us into this mold that if you'll just find the right person, if you'll just find the one, and you need to spend all your time finding the one, and then when you find the one, then everything is just gonna be all right. And we're all like, yeah, right. And we know better now, right? Because we've gotten focused, fixated on thinking that another person is what we need most. God said that his whole intent was us for what? Matthew 22. Love who? God with all that you are. It didn't say um, love your spouse with all that you are. No, the idea is God is your one and your spouse is your two. And when we invert that, revert that, whatever you want to call it, boy, things get really out of whack. And what's sad is it would seem like I'm going to make this person my number one priority. They're at the top of my list and we get all this stuff and it ends up breaking down because it always breaks down without the priorities right where God is our one and our spouse is our two. And so the scripture is encouraging us to then adopt a mindset that I will always seek the one with my two. That's what's supposed to be going on here. I'm not, we're not seeking each other to, to, that's the end all. We're actually saying, you know what, we need help here. How in the world are we gonna take two and become one? Because when it happens, wow, it's awesome, it's great. I, I you know, I, the more I experience it and when it works, it's great. But Lord, uh, there's some things that, you know, my deal, my hangups, my selfishness, my deal. Uh, Lord, you've got to be the one that we're always resources, always accessing. And so, you know what? We're going to seek him uh, together because we realize he needs to be the one 
and our spouse becomes the two. It's what kind of what Jesus was saying. Uh, again, this works. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, and everything else will take its proper form. So I'm gonna seek the one with my two. I will always seek the one with my two. What happens when that doesn't happen is something I think all of us can associate with a little bit. We either, we either end up idolizing, right, the one, put them on a pedestal. We, like Heather was even saying in that video, we try to find our identity, our hope, our security in them. We idolize them, right? <laughs> and then what so often happens is because we idolize them and because they're human and because they fail us, as all of us have, what happens? <laughs> we demonize them. Kind of sounds like this. Can you, can, have you ever heard this? Man, she, she's just so organized and driven. Man, I love that about her. That's, I mean, I just idolize. But quickly it can turn to this. She is a control freak. And she just nag, nag, nags me. See, it was driven when you're organized, when you're idolizing it, but when it somehow breaks down like it always does, then it's quick to say it's just now nag, nag, nag. Or she's organized and she's a control freak. You see how that works? Or like this, he's so laid back, easy going, easy to talk to, cares about me, comforts me, is attentive, idolized. He's nothing but a bump on a log anymore. He doesn't do anything. He's not a leader. He doesn't show. You see, idolize, demonize. And I've thought about this principle a lot. And I've thought about a lot of times when I talk to, to couples in crisis. And you hear this a lot. It's what we do. We end up demonizing one another because we have put them on a pedestal that they never belonged on. God is your one, your spouse is your two. That's why we seek God. So I'm thinking about, okay, so what can I share with them about seeking God? I thought, man, there's a lot of things you could say, you would expect me to say. Things like, um, you should be in the word together. You know, I could spend some time talking about that, throw some scripture in there and support my argument and all of us would say, yeah, you're right, you know, be in the word together. Worship together. Uh, you know, hey, you wanna seek God together, then you come together, you worship together, you seek his, you know, oh yeah, that, that, that's good, that's good, that makes sense. Find a small group, you know, get together, do life with one another. Uh, Blake and Heather in, in, in that in, uh, interview, we had to edit it down, but one of the things they talked about, another part of that was that they found that one of the things that helped them become a person that could love when it was undeserved, could care, when, all that, was when they got into groups together with, uh, I think they were in like a, a ladies group and a men's group, and they realized as they listened to fellow believers talk about things, they realized, oh, man, I'm not doing that, or I should do that, that's good. You know, it kind of, it, and so I could talk about, hey, find like-minded people of faith and allow them to, to help you, encourage you, inspire you, you know, the whole, uh, 
Hebrews thing, let's meet together because we spur each other on to good works, that kind of thing. I thought I could say that, that would be good. Or I could talk about using our gifts together, serving together. And we all know that there is a dynamic principle involved in when we come together around a cause or something, we inherently become closer, right? That happens in churches, that happens in communities. We, we somehow, when we serve something, we grow closer. So we could talk about, hey, serve together because that'll draw you closer to God. I thought, you know what, though? If you give them a list of eight to 10 things, what do most of us do with eight to 10 things? We normally do zero, right? Because I'm just overwhelmed. Where do I start? And so, there's one thing I want to leave with you. Just one thing. Because there's a, there's a book that's been written. It's actually, there's a blog or a podcast. Um, and then I heard Craig Groeschel talk about this too. There's this idea of a keystone habit. All of us have keystone habits. It's a habit. We're all habitual, right? Every one of you has habits. Even if you declare up and down you're not, you, you do. We all, those of us who live with you, we know your habits. You have, you know, that's kind of how we are, routine, routine. He said, but there's some habits that carry more weight than others. In fact, they say, studying us, that there's some things that if we do those, they create forward momentum. They create not only one positive habit, but another and another. And Craig Rochelle shares like uh, the fact that for him it's flossing. Um, when he flosses every morning, then he thinks about eating good that day. When he thinks about eating good, he's health conscious. When he does that, he, and it all just, it's a positive momentum. There's keystone. I don't know what that is for you. I'm still thinking about mine, um, some of those keystone habits in my life. But there is a principle that's in play that there are habits that create more, that permit, create positive momentum for us. Same is also said on the negative side. And so I'm thinking about what's just one thing. Let's just walk out of here with one thing to think about in the context of marriage and seeking God together. And I would say this is the keystone habit that I would want for us to think about when we leave. And that's this. Pray together. Pray together. Do you pray together? Are you praying together as a couple? I started to think about this. You know, when you pray together, um, there's something that's really humbling about prayer, isn't there? Prayer is a, an act of humility. It's an admission on my part that I need something outside of what I have. God, help me. Right? That's what we're doing with praying. It's humble. It's humbling. There's something beautiful that happens when we pray together. We, we share this sense of humility together. There's something about seeing Nicole praying and humbling herself before the Lord as we pray, and it just, it, 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 it knocks down the, it, it does something to me. Like, why would I want to be selfish there? Look at her humbling herself before, and the same as vice versa. It's humbling, right? And what does the scripture say? God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Praying together creates this, this environment of humility together where we, we, we just kind of lay down our own rights and we're focused on what needs to happen together. Um, praying together, it's kind of really hard to fight with someone you're praying with, right? 
Now, it's possible. I can testify to that. You can just pray together and still fight. But it's harder. And the more that you pray together, the harder I think it is to fight. Right? Now, you guys just must pray and fight all together. I mean, it's no big deal. So this is not... Yeah, praying together, the conflict, I believe, is, is diminished. It's not gone. We're going to talk about fighting fair. But it helps with that. Praying together does, it keeps me informed about Nicole's worries, her struggles, her hang-ups. It gives me insight into where she's at, Right? Same for her. When we start to pray about things, you start to catch the heart of the other person, where they're at, what they're concerned about, what they're struggling with. And when that happens, we're praying together, it creates in our hearts compassion for one another. It creates a sense of, of um, it, it just care, concern. We pray together. And obviously prayer is a very intimate thing. It creates intimacy. Um, you know what that is to have went into prayer and sensed the presence of God. You know what that is? There is nothing like that in the world to sense God's presence as you pray and pour your heart out and his Holy Spirit just floods your heart with his love and his comfort. And you know what? When you're doing that together, you talk about just melting things, drawing you closer. It creates intimacy. I, I would share one verse, I think, there's a number of things, but I love this verse in James chapter five. It says, confess your sins to, to each other. And I believe this works in the family, in the marriage dynamic. And pray for each other so what? You may be healed. We all know what marriage is. It comes along with its nicks and bruises and, and bumps. And it's this whole two becoming one. And you know what needs to happen for all of us? We need continual healing. We need a sense of healing, right? It's, okay, so let's get healed. And in the dynamic of prayer, confessing and praying for one another, we find healing. And so that's what I all, all I want to leave you with is in your marriages, God's one, spouses two, what does that look like? It's a lot of things, but I think one of the keystone habits we could have is praying together. You know, they did a survey, a Christian organization did a survey. Um, not, it's been a few years now. They found that Christian couples, fewer than 8% pray together. Fewer than 8% pray together. Wow. But of that 8% that pray together, if that number's like, I don't know, 1,000, Okay, just throwing out an arbitrary number. They found that 1% divorced. I like those odds. Because the odds that the world's given us right now is 50-50. 50-50. But if you will, God first, spouse second. And what does that mean? One of those things is praying together your odds of making it have increased dramatically because you're doing it God's way, how he intended and designed for us to do it. Pray together. Are you praying together? 
If you are, it's a great encouragement, reminder what God's doing with that. If you're not, you know what? Start tomorrow. Start today. Start just five minutes. Before we walk out the door, pray. You don't all of a sudden have to have an hour of like, good luck with that. Just start. I believe it's a way that we can seek God and create marriages that are healthy and lasting and fulfilling. Father, Lord, take this truth, apply it to our hearts in whatever way we need. Thank you for this gift of companionship, the blessings that it brings. Wow, I mean, life is like, uh, it's so much better sharing life with with that person. Um, But Lord, help us to understand that it just doesn't happen and there's challenges and one of the greatest ways that we can navigate the challenges is by praying together maybe that I believe that's a keystone habit for then creating positive forward momentum in our marriages to help us to pray together I pray these things Lord in Jesus name and for your sake Amen